might get to see dad as he travels through, but we don't often get to see their families. Well, a few months ago, I asked our governing committee, instead of me going to check in on them, could we bring Nanjing to us? And they said, that's a great idea. And they said, let's see if we can talk the Chili's into it. Because you've seen Andy and Brooke, well, you've seen Andy on Skype and heard Brooke's voice last, this time last year. And then uh, a few months ago in the springtime, Andy presented a bit of what they were getting ready for over the summer. Well, now, if I, can I have all of you stand up just real quick, and then I'll introduce you, and they've agreed to do something a little different. Uh, on the end, we have the beautiful Esther. Can you turn around and just wave? There we go. Give her a hand. She's amazing. They all are. Then we have Abigail uh, and Brooke and Andy. They have served... Well, let me start with this. Uh, you know, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Philippians. And it's people like these that are, are come, come to my mind when Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all four of you, I pray with thanksgiving because of Esther and Abby and Brooke and Andy's partnership in the gospel. From the first day, Andy went to the same school in Beijing that my first introduction to China was with. And he had to pick up the pieces that I had broken uh, the year after. And 20 some years onward, we get to still do this. Because we're confident of this, that he who began a good work in them and in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But as you listen to their story, there's a mandate for us as the church. See, a couple of things are happening in the church global. One, the, the organized church is aging and younger people aren't giving and serving in the way the older church has, the, the elders of our church have. That's a real need. How can we go where Jesus has called us to go if we're not giving and offering ourselves? So the call is for us younger generations to follow the example that has been given before us. That's imperative. There are thousands of people on the field that AIC has connections to one way or another. Are we praying? And then finally, when we hear stories like these guys and we wonder, oh, that's theirs, do we ever ask ourselves, what, what could God have for us? Uh, there's somebody used to say it all the time, God uses cracked pots. In other words, he doesn't just use those that have it all figured out. He uses those who will just say, here I am, I'm pretty flawed, but you're not God and you can work. And I'm not calling these guys flawed, they're amazing, but we're going to get to hear a little bit of their stories. So they made a deal with me that they would let me interview them this morning. And Esther said yes. So Esther, can you come on up? And we're so thankful. The mic's already on, so all you have to do is come on up. Give her a hand. And, and Brooke, why don't you sit with her? That way that'll be a little safer. Here, can we trade seats? Esther, can you come on out to the front? Because while you're growing way too fast, mom's still winning. Um, Esther, it's been a joy to watch you grow and develop, uh, but you've had quite a year. And over the summer, you were in Turkey, right? Yeah, could you, let me see. Yeah, we're good. Give it just a second. Okay. Okay. Uh, could you tell us a, bit, a little bit about what happened and where your parents were while that was happening? Thanks, Andy. I was in yeah. 
Istanbul, Turkey. Okay. Did any sort of political thing happen while you were in Istanbul? The coup happened. So a military coup happened, and were your parents with you? No. No. How did that make you feel? I felt safe with the people I was with. Cool. That's pretty amazing, because I think I would have been pretty nervous. But you were okay? Yes. Yeah, you see any cool things happen throughout that summer? Well, you felt safe. I think that's a pretty amazing thing. And God answered prayers. Remember, we were praying specifically for Esther because we knew Andy and Brooke were in another country at that time, and God was watching out for the whole family. So you're back in Nanjing now, right? Yes. How's That's a great, thank you, Mom. Excellent. Did you see anything cool in Turkey? I got to see a tank. You got to see a tank? Yes. Wow. But it wasn't aimed at you, was it? No. Good. I'm very glad to hear that. What was on it? What was Somebody on it? Somebody was taking a picture. Somebody was taking a picture? A selfie on top of the tank. What was? Somebody was taking a selfie on top of the tank. Okay, well, they do coups differently in Turkey and... That's okay. That's a good thing. Great. You're doing awesome, Esther, by the way. So how are things back in Nanjing? That's kind of your Very home? Good. good. How has it been to make friends after you were gone for a summer and a semester before that? It's a little hard. A little hard? Mm-hmm. Are there ways we could pray for you that might help that? Just have some more people my age in the city that I can know? Or... Okay. Can I ask you just to, to say that again right there? I know it sounds real loud because you're sitting right under the speaker, but we're deaf. <laughs> so if you'll go. To find some more friends in my city. Okay. That can be tough, and we forget about that because um, Esther was, has been in Nanjing a good chunk of your life, right? Yes. Most of it. But that doesn't mean it's easy to connect with friends. It's easy to speak Chinese all the time. And so, hey, teenagers and almost teens, which is basically this row right here, (laughs) and you've hung out with them all morning, Uh, would you pray for Esther? Would you even shoot her an email once in a while, letting letting her know that you love her and that she's got a family here in Hong Kong? Would you guys do that for me? Timothy, could I delegate you to be the guy that reminds the girls to do it? (laughs) Would you do that for me? Great. Esther, you did a great job. Can I give you a hug? Thank you. I'm proud of you, sweetheart. Abigail, how are you? I'm good. Good. Thanks for coming. And how old are you, Abby? 14. You're 14, and you look older, and you're, again, growing up too fast. Sorry. Hey, Dad? (laughs) Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Mandarin. I don't know. Anyway, you, again, gone from Nanjing, from your version of home all summer and all semester before. What's it been like now that you're back? It's taken longer than I thought to readjust back to normal life. Um, Starting high school and stuff is um, pretty scary. Um, Mom doesn't go easy on me either. Um, So most of the time I'm in my room doing my schoolwork, um, which is pretty normal. So it's been a transition back. Okay. Now, um, do you go to school or what's school like for you? I used to go to Chinese public school, mm-hmm. um, and then we decided that wasn't working out um, for me in years to come. 
so we decided that we were going to switch and do full-on homeschool. Okay. Um, so I had in the past been doing half-day Chinese public school and half-day homeschool. Okay. So now you're almost full-time at home, but don't you also take classes somewhere? Yes. At the university Dad teaches at, I have Spanish class twice a week. Okay. And what's going on tomorrow afternoon when you land? <laughs> I have to rush to class to take an exam. Yes. So do pray for Abby as she rushes to take her Spanish exam tomorrow after she gets off the plane. Well, you went on a mission trip this summer. It's, this is an odd thing for some of us to wrap our minds around. For us, we think, hey, they're on a mission trip every day of their lives. But that's life. And so Abby went back to America this summer while mom and dad were traveling, and you went on a missions trip. Could you tell us where you went? I went to an Indian reservation um, in North Carolina, and I spent um, a week there working with the kids at a daycare center who are mostly all um, orphans or in foster care of some sort um, who have had um, very tough situations at home. And so we would do VBS with them in the mornings. And then in the afternoon, we would go and do um, construction projects. Um, we would go visit the retirement home um, around the, uh, down the street from our camp and um, just kind of serve in any way that we could. Excellent. Awesome. And then I'm going to ask you one more question because, again, we don't always realize that this is what life might be like. A couple weeks ago, you and your dad headed up to Beijing and you went to a youth retreat, right? Yes. Yeah, what was that like? What's it like to go to a youth retreat in China? It was really fun. I went up to Beijing, and I spent a weekend up there with some really good friends of mine, and we really just kind of we were really loud. <laughs> Excellent. Now, my mom had a tradition, and our whole church family knows that I ask this question of times like this, but when it's finished, what's one thing God taught you on that retreat? This is the question she didn't want me to ask, but I told her I was going I think one of the most predominant lessons that I took away from that was that, um, and it's kind of really drilled in um, to people my age um, right now, is that the world is going to be telling you to do things, and they may not be things that would be good for you or um, right in the eyes of the Lord. And so really to just be able to stand strong against um, all the lies that are being thrown at you, left and right, and up and down, and front and back, and yeah. Amen. It's a pretty great sermon right there. Thanks, Abby. So, <laughs> I love you, kid. How can we pray for you? Um, probably just like Esther. I recently, um, a couple years ago, we had a youth group with some of um, a couple of the teens that I had known. Um, a few years ago, and so we would meet once a week, um, but it was really far away from where I lived, and so I wouldn't be able to meet up with them and kind of talk and hang out otherwise. Um, so it was really just a once a week thing that I would get to see people my age. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and we've had a family that's lived with us for a while in Nanjing, but they're gone for um, about a year or so in America, so we don't have them to goof off with. Um, but the youth group has started back up, and we've only been in session for maybe like three weeks, about three weeks. Okay. Um, and so I don't know any of these people um, because they all go to an international school um, that's kind of way out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so just to be able to be able to build relationships 
with them. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Before you go, I want to highlight something that, again, when we think of missions, we forget. Missions is a whole family engagement. And it can be difficult for the kids, regardless of age and maturity. These are amazing young women who I think the world of. But did you hear it? They're longing for connection and relationship, just like we all do. So AIC family, be praying for Esther. Be praying for Abby, because they have such love to share. But sometimes it can be lonely to be what's called a third culture kid. And we'll, t we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But thanks, Abby. We love you. We're proud of you. You're doing a great job. Give me a hug. I'm going to move this over here. Can I sit down with you? Great. Uh, Brooke, it's good to see you. I met Brooke for the first time. I don't know if she remembers. It was in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I was, uh, had just been hired as a youth pastor at a local church and got in touch with Andy, and I think you made us lunch. I don't remember that part. I think you don't remember the first time. Uh -oh. The first time was at Tacoa Falls when you were considering going to CTF, and I recruited you to come to China. Oh, you did. Do you remember in the Student Union building? <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> you win. Okay, could we uh, switch the computer? Thank you. Sorry, I had to, your memory is better than mine. Yes, okay, so that was a really great conversation. <laughs> I made a real impact, you can tell. <laughs> you did, I do remember it now that I think about it. And I did end up going. She was an effective recruiter. I ended up in China, uh, in part because, although I think I was an easy sell. You were. Um, and here we are again a few years later. I'm not going to put a number on it. Uh, but uh, we've heard a little bit about the summer from Esther, but could you share a little of your perspective of this past season and what sure. went on and things sure. of that nature? I'll share one thing um, just about the turkey coup thing. Andy and I were in Tunisia at the time. We were in, China, in um, the region, the Middle East, North Africa region, to visit teaching teams um, at English centers and refugee camps and schools and places like that. So we were doing a lot of traveling. Istanbul was our base, and so we were going back and forth from there while Esther stayed with an au pair in Istanbul. We felt like it was the most stable place in the region. But um, so that night when we, we got the text messages and we heard what was going on, you know, a mother's heart um, starts to pound, <laughs> things like that. But um, as we were trying to make our plan, how quickly can we get there? Do we bring her out? You know, these kinds of things. There was a definitive moment that I think was probably the result of your prayers and some others. Um, because I could, sometimes I struggle with fear, and I could really see a path before me in my mind and imagination. And I was very tempted to imagine all the terrible things that could happen. You know, what if, blah, blah, blah. And I just could really sense the Holy Spirit saying, but that's not true, that's not right now. What's true is, I am in control, and I am good, and I love your daughter, and she's in my hands. And so I just want to thank you for, for your prayers for our peace. I think it's one reason she felt safe and was not worried um, is because of his presence with her. Um, but one of the other really significant things for me about the summer was meeting some of the Syrian children who were there and being loved on by the local believers. And then we got to join with them um, sending a team of Americans and Chinese to work hand-in-hand -hand to to love on, to teach, and to minister to these kids. And there were, 
we were partnering there with a, a local fellowship. But we had heard, we were there as they were just beginning. After the first day of class, we were told as kind of a leadership team, there's one class that's really, really hard. In fact, they're so unruly, some of the most experienced teachers didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'll sit in the back of that class and pray all day. <laughs> and as I did, I was able to sit near a table with two little boys. They were about 11 years old. And you could tell by looking at their wiry build, their clothes that weren't freshly washed, um, that they had been through a lot, and they were pretty tough kids. But they were, and they were hungry, because one kept asking me, as he could, when is lunch? Can I have two sandwiches? Please make sure I get two sandwiches. And I said, I'll do my best. But he was also hungry to learn, because the teacher was teaching them body parts, eyes and ears, nose and mouth. And he, the teacher also would say, I say this, you do this. And so Ishmael was his name. Whenever they would practice eyes, he would say, you. No, 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 it's the wrong kind of I in you. <laughs> you know, this is eyes. But he would, he would grab my arm and say, tell me again, what, which one is this? And so he was very hungry to learn and to do his best. But his greatest hunger was for love and affection. Andy, I was staying in one class, Andy was rotating around all of them, and when he came in, um, most, many of these kids had lost their dads um, in one way or another, either not with them present or they had lost their lives. And um, so when Andy came in, this big man, to give affection and attention to these two guys, um, Raim on the left there and then um, the other little boy, they couldn't get enough of him and drawing pictures and draw this for me and then it was time for the attention to go back to the teacher. And so Andy was being a good example. He focused on the teacher and started ignoring the boys for a few minutes. And they didn't like that. They weren't ready to stop playing. And so one of them reached over and pinched Andy's arm. Andy didn't look at him. He pinched it a little harder. Still, Andy's focused on the teacher. Really pinching it hard. Just wanted him to look at him again. Nothing. So finally he stopped decided he'd look at the teacher too. And then my husband reached over and held his hand. And the little boy grabbed onto Andy's hand and held it for the rest of the class. And it was just such a picture to me of, um, of his hunger for love as well as for education and for food. And what a privilege it was for us to be a really small part in supporting the teachers who were there. So that was a sweet memory. Thank you for sharing that. And again, it reminds us of the desperate need the world has for a father, even in a small picture like that, of that heart's cry that some people can't even explain to. Um, can you give us then, to kind of change gears a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about family life now, raising kids in Nanjing while still your family is back in the States? And what's that like for you as mom, the mother's heart, the daughter's heart, and yeah. things of that nature? Thank you. Um, first, I need to update you. Uh, we had asked you to pray for an upcoming move for us. We really felt like we were being led to move, and turned out that was not the Lord's plan for us. So we can fill in more details on that, but we were kind of relieved to, to get more clarity on that. But we did want to follow up and, and let you know. Um, you know, I, I think it's easy to have the idea that the more times you leave, the easier it gets, but that's not been my experience. Um, our experience. I think the, as our parents age, it gets more difficult, actually. But again, we see the Lord's perfect provision. Um, 
Andy's mom has had some health issues and is doing better now, mm -hmm. so we're really encouraged there. Uh, both, all of our parents have a good um, fellowship group, mm -hmm. and um, my mom gave me a really good example. I was talking with her a couple of weeks ago. She was working on a big project, cleaning out a storage room and moving things around. She's 76, and she said, uh, you know, at one point I prayed and I said, Lord, would you please just send somebody to help me move all these boxes? Mm -hmm. I feel really tired. And I thought, yeah, I wish I could be there, and um, we weren't there. And, but Mom said, but you know what? I really felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, I am all you need. Mm -hmm. And, and she said, and he was. I didn't hurt my back. I got the project done. It, it, the Lord was all I needed. But I felt like I needed to hear that every bit as much as she did. So, um, yeah, and then as far as our family life at home, a lot of my, most of my time and energy is spent teaching at ninth grade and sixth grade. I have the best scholars in town. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, I can't wing it anymore. When they were little, you could kind of wing it on homeschool but I really have to do a lot more prep now for some of their classes. It's such a privilege, though, to hear their observations and mm -hmm. insights as we study science and origins of life and literature and Bible. Um, so that's, that's a lot what I do in, in helping Andy. Excellent. And that's yeah. a full-time job as well. <laughs> um, with going into as much detail as you'd like, how have you been feeling? We know mm. you've been... Yeah. Thanks. I, Battling I, some stuff. I have had some health challenges with my thyroid, but I'm just very grateful. Um, the father has provided an excellent doctor, and we're following his plan, and it's working well. So I'm feeling good. Praise the Lord. Thank you. That's great. What about some relationships God's put in your life? Could you tell us a little about that? Yeah, this season looks a little different from some others. And most of my relationships outside of our family are with young moms and newlyweds, um, some on our team. Um, so they're Americans raising kids in China. We have um, a couple of toddlers and babies, one just born last week. Mm -hmm. And um, the girls and I had the privilege of keeping the two-year-old big sister while mom and dad were at the hospital having the baby. So that was a, mm -hmm. a fun thing and just really grateful to, to be able to serve with the girls in that way. But then also I have a couple of Chinese friends um, who also are raising toddlers. And one has taken the countercultural move to be a stay-at-home mom, and the other is working, and they're both just dealing with the same things that we all deal with as far as how to train and love and discipline children, so I've been able to be an encouragement to them, and I'm grateful for their role in my life as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing that, a lesson we, we're all challenged to do. When we find people in any stage of life, will we walk with them where they are uh, and love them through that? So how can we pray for you? Uh, thank you for praying for us. I think for me, the main thing is um, the Father has given me through the Spirit the gift of helping, and so I'm, I'm in a great place to do that. Mm -hmm. But one of my challenges is just to remember that just because I think of it doesn't mean I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And I really need and want to be sensitive to His Spirit to do the things that He's calling me to and not be so over busy doing things that I want to do that I miss I don't have the energy left over or the time or I miss what he's really calling me to. So I think a sensitivity and a joyful yieldedness to his spirit in the way I spend my time. Absolutely. We will keep praying for that. It's hard for all of us to balance what's urgent versus what's truly important. So we'll keep that. Thank you, Brooke. We're so thankful to be able to walk with you through life. Andy, come on up.
I didn't hug her. You're right, I didn't. <laughs> you, you got off too fast. I was thinking of the transition. Thank, thanks for reminding me. You're welcome. Are you going to hug now? I know we're going to hug okay. ahead of time. Um, before I've we, seen your memory already this morning, so that's good to get it out of the way. I, I don't know what it is. To, actually, I do know what it is, and that's okay. It's that year adjustment. Uh, but uh, I do need to remind you of before we get into talk, especially with what Andy's about to share, uh, we love the Chile family and we care deeply about their safety. I also know that we're a very social group. Please do not post anything that they're saying or photos of them on the books, on the tweets, on the Snapchats, on the LinkedIn, whichever version you want, please refrain from social media with their faces and names because we want that work to be able to continue with, with where the Lord has led them and we don't want the wrong eyes seeing what that's going on. Uh, also, do know that this week's message will not be available via podcast. So if you want to recap, take good notes. <laughs> With that, this is my friend Andy. I'm not going to say the first time we met because I've already gotten one wrong today. It was about the same time, about the same time. roughly, uh, and that's a thrill. Uh, but thanks for being with us. Thanks yeah, it's nice to be home. Nice to be back. And we, we love having you back with us. Thanks. So it's been, this is the longest I think it's been since we've started hanging out, because usually you have to come down for meetings. That's right. But you're wearing a lot of different hats these days. Mm -hmm. um, how's your heart? How's your energy? How's your mind as you think through all those? <laughs> well, uh, we'll just start off with the personal question first. Um, uh, you know, it's been interesting. We've, we've been in Hong Kong for 24 hours. Uh, this particular trip already and we've already heard from a variety of people here in the city about uh, some of the mindsets and challenges that you as a city and a population are feeling and are, are processing through and I would say some of those same attitudes some of those same same feelings exist inside the mainland as well and uh, and so during September and October there were three typhoons that came across uh, southern and eastern China. And we feel like there are three metaphorical typhoons that we've experienced this fall as well. Uh, there's a very strong uh, anti-foreign um, attitude that has become more pervasive, uh, at least across the general culture inside the country. And as a foreigner, um, we haven't experienced it in the individual relationships on the campus or in the city or our neighborhood. But generally, uh, in the media, in, um, in some of the rules and laws that are, that are being put forward, we've, we've experienced that. Uh, the second uh, typhoon is, um, is a, a, a tightening of, uh, of a refocus on education and a narrowing of space within the education community, um, an allowance for what is uh, acceptable as truth uh, within within the education community. The third, the third one is, um, is an anti-charity social sector emphasis in the country. Uh, if you remember in 2008, the large earthquake in Sichuan and the, the outpouring of support from the population across the country, um, separate from the military, separate from the government, uh, but largely a private uh, social sector move to help the, with the massive need there in the, in the country. And that, that initiated um, 
a really significant move, especially young, the young, among the young generation, to, to press into the social needs inside the country. Um, the, uh, the central government at this point is beginning to, to push back against that and to, to uh, resist um, the private sector taking responsibility for those needs and rather putting that back on the responsibility of the government and the party. And so, uh, especially international charities are, are being required to change their legal status as of January 1. And so, uh, so we have spent, I've spent a lot of my time uh, as uh, outside of the classroom hat that I wear, but in the administrative responsibilities for the organization, uh, navigating and figuring out how to be compliant with the development of the country and the, the legal situation of the country, and trying to maintain uh, and honoring our host uh, government and um, doing what they're requiring of us, but uh, also continuing to meet the, the requests from the students and the schools uh, who are asking us for more teachers. We have one school where we currently place four teachers, and they emailed us this week and asked us for 70, 70 teachers at one university. Now, that, that's not going to happen. Um, but it's very interesting that this is uh, one school that would, would, uh, would more than 10 times uh, their, their current placement request in the middle of these typhoons of negativity and, and, uh, and whatnot. So the local situation, we continue to see great openness, warmth, and receptivity to relationship. But in the general culture, uh, there's, there's difficulty. So there's a prairie quest in itself that God would open doors. Continued. So what's God been saying to you lately, personally? Well, uh, so just recently I've been looking in Kings um, uh, because, because you know, I thought that things were trending and moving in one direction and I thought we were seeing some, some fruitfulness and responsiveness in areas. And I thought, okay, I see what he's doing. I see where this is going. And then this year with these typhoons and this, this, this change, there's been um, a sense of disappointment or I hate to say disillusionment, but um, kind of like what, what, what's going on? Are we supposed to be done here? Is, are, are we, have, we, have we worked too hard to stay when really our purpose is to come and accomplish a goal and then move on because he's called us to a task, not a place. We don't come to stay, we come to accomplish. And um, so we've been wrestling with that. And in First Kings, uh, you may remember the story of Elijah and uh, he battles the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. Not a whole lot of nodding of heads. You're familiar with the story? Yeah, some people need to wake up. We'll get them. Um, sorry, not that row. They were all awake. Um, but, uh, but right after that, uh, Elijah runs to Jezreel. Uh, he prays, rain comes, and Ahab rides in his chariot back to the capital to Jezreel. But Elijah races and beats him and gets there first. And, um, and I've always wondered why... Why did he, what was the significance of him running back to Jezreel? Why did he, why did God do that? And, um, and so recently it's dawned on me that he thought that this conflict with Baal, this miraculous fall of fire from heaven, that God was going to create a national uh, re revival and that uh, the people were going to rise up and they were going to get rid of Jezebel and Ahab. And that there was going to be this, this turning to, to God. Now, not interested in the, the political dynamics of it. That sounds bad in the current context. That's not what I mean. But he was expecting God to do a spiritual work. And when he got to Jezreel, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you before the day is out. 
and the people didn't say anything. And so he was very disillusioned. He had this expectation of what God was going to do. And God said, no, that's not my plan. And so he, he ran away. He ran into the desert. Uh, he actually laid off all of his staff. Um, he was quitting the ministry. He asked God to take his life. He said, that's it, I'm finished. I did what I was, I'm supposed to do, and it's not working, and I quit. And there's this real sense of despair and disillusionment. And, um, and yet uh, God comes to him and meets him. And the, remember, there's a fire, and there's earthquake, and there's this wind. And then in a still, small voice, the, the Lord comes to him in gentleness and, uh, and very mercifully says, I have a plan. I want you to appoint Haziel, the king of Syria, and whoever he doesn't kill, appoint Jehu, the king of Israel, and then who he doesn't kill, appoint Elisha. He's going to take your place, and he'll take care of it. And I've got a plan. And the, the message that I've been hearing from the Lord is, just because it's not your plan doesn't mean I don't have a plan. He always has a plan, and it's the best plan. And he doesn't have to use followers of Jesus to make his plan work. Haziel has no indication that he was a God-fearer. Jehu was a terrible king for Israel who did not love and follow the Lord. Um, and yet God used them for the advancement of his kingdom and to bring glory to himself. And so we're called to be obedient, to seek God's face, and to follow him. And he will accomplish his purpose. And we sang about it this morning. He is on his throne, and he is God alone. And there is great uh, security and confidence in walking and being held and protected. Just like Elijah was protected from the fire and the earthquake and the wind, he was hidden in a cave inside of a rock. And we are hidden in a rock. The rock is Jesus, and he is our protector. He has taken the wrath of God on himself so that we get the gentle whisper, the mercy of God when he comes to meet us. We don't have to face the wrath. And that, that's what I've been learning. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. I think that's a lesson we can all learn from on a regular basis. We think about our own city. Uh, some of us are Americans like myself, and we think about our country, and it feels uncertain. But God's still working. He's never not working. And I love that. I'm not going to start preaching. You did mention, and we've heard a little bit from Esther and from Brooke, you took a different kind of trip this summer. So, and we committed and we did pray with you throughout that journey. So could you update us a bit on what you saw, how that went, highlights, uh, things of that nature? Sure. Um, your perspective. Sure. So just real briefly, because the, the ladies have already spoken to it very eloquently. Um, the highlight for me was being in Jordan. You'll see in some of these pictures, it's not just uh, Middle Eastern and Arab young people, but there are also uh, Chinese faces there as well. And uh, that's been a huge part of the summer for us. We had 11 uh, mainland students and two Hong Kong teachers that joined us for the summer working with refugees in Lebanon and in Jordan. Um, and they did a fabulous job. Uh, it was really exciting to see the way that, um, that they uh, encountered the Lord and met him and experienced him. A very quick story. Uh, our mainland students were flying from Beijing to Istanbul, and they had to change planes in Cairo on the way. The coup in Istanbul happened while they were in the air from Beijing to Cairo. So when we got the text messages and Brooke was panicking about, as a mom about Esther, I was panicking like a father about the Chinese students. <laughs> uh, I knew Brooke would worry about Esther's enough for both of us, so I was going to worry about the students. And, um, and so I thought, oh my word, they're going to get to Cairo. Their flight's canceled to Istanbul, and it was. And so they're going to be stuck there. 
How do I get a message to them? This is clearly going to be in the media. Their parents are going to start calling the office in China. What do I tell our staff? I just, you know, all those things that you start dealing with. And, um, and we were stuck in North Africa, I'd never been there before, just on and on and on. So when they got to Cairo, they asked, uh, we, we did get a message to them and said, don't go to Istanbul, we'll just go straight to Amman, to Jordan, and uh, we'll, we'll do the orientation there. So they asked the airline to rebook them on the flight from Cairo to Amman instead of Istanbul. And the airline said, no. The, the, the flight that you booked was to Istanbul, and so you'll have to wait until the airport reopens, but that's the flight you paid for. You can't go to Amman just because you want to. They said, if you want to buy a ticket, you can buy a ticket for 450 American dollars each. And they said, uh, I don't have that money. They said, well, can you at least put us in a hotel? You know, we've, we left at midnight Beijing time. We've flown for 12 hours. We're, we're quite tired. Could, you, could we at least have a hotel? And they said, well, no. The flight was canceled because of a problem in Turkey. It's not our fault. It's not our responsibility. And so they're stuck in Cairo um, with no, no options. And so uh, the, the team leader you know, reported back to the team the situation. One of the young girls said, well, we should pray, which is always a good solution. So the 12 of them stood in a circle there in the Cairo airport holding hands, and they prayed. And they said to Jesus, we are stuck in Egypt, and we can't get out. There's no way to go back, and there was no way to go forward. Your people have been stuck in Egypt before. <laughs> and there was no way to go back and no way to go forward. Could you please part the Red Sea again? <laughs> then they said, you were in Egypt one time, and you didn't want to be there either. Can you please help us? Amen. And so she went back to the counter. And she said to the airline representative, this is probably 10 minutes after she had just been told no. So she said, I know, I know we, we talked a minute ago, but I just need to explain to you our situation. So she explains, we're trying to go and work with the refugees and we got stuck and we don't really need to go to Istanbul. And it was almost like that scene in Star Wars where the, the warriors say, these are not the drones you're looking for. And it goes, oh, these are not the drones you're looking for. Uh, that can you please help us get to Amman? And the lady said, oh, okay, I'll book you on a flight to Amman and book them on flights to Amman for free. And then she said, well, yeah, right, praise the Lord. And then she said, the flight's not till tomorrow, so could we stay in a hotel tonight? And the lady said, okay, I'll put you in a hotel for, <laughs> with breakfast. So they all got to stay at the Novotel Hotel in Cairo for free with breakfast. So even before they got to, to Jordan, they were so encouraged that the Lord had a plan and he wanted them there and that it wasn't responsible for them. It was his responsibility. So they all bought We Love Cairo t-shirts <laughs> because they were so blessed just already even before they got there. They did a great job. Uh, the Lord is working. And there's one young man... Um, well, that's just some of them praying during orientation together. Um, eh, eh, let's see if I can find him. Well, uh, I think I passed him. 
I blame myself on uh, not knowing how to push the button well. No, it, it's me. That one right there. So this young man, uh, he has actually applied to go back this fall to teach for a full year, teaching Chinese um, in the region as well. This is a new initiative for us to actually send Chinese teachers. You know, we've been sending Western teachers to teach English here, but now we're actually trying to help send Chinese teachers to other places as well, and he is one of uh, a few that have begun to apply and are going. So you could pray for him. There are huge obstacles to this. Um, one other quick deal, and I know you got other things to do, um, but there's actually a refugee that we've met in the Middle East this summer, and her family is stuck. They they came into, uh, they left Syria. Their 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 city was being torn apart, Aleppo, being just destroyed by civil war, and so they fled. Um, they are professionals. She has a college degree. Her brother has a master's degree. Her father's a petroleum engineer. I mean, these are, these are well-educated people, and they fled because of war. They're stuck now. They've lost their refugee status. They, they're illegal in the country that they're in, and they're stuck. They can't get out. And, um, and so as we began talking to her, she teaches Arabic. And so I said, well, would you be interested in possibly teaching Arabic in China if I could find you a job. And she said, oh my word, yes. Uh, she said, can I bring my family? Of course. She said, can I bring my family? And I said, well, that's going to really be really hard. That's a big ask. But um, anyway, we have asked one of the universities, the one that wants 70 teachers, <laughs> and they want an Arabic teacher. And, um, and so we are now working with them to see if we can get paperwork and get permission for her to come and teach Arabic to meet the need of the school and to be a blessing to the people of China from that part of the world and possibly see some of her students down the road who would go maybe even back to her country to teach Chinese in the future. Um, a, a, a dream and a possibility far too brilliant for any of us to imagine or think of. But the Lord of the harvest decides where he puts workers in the harvest. And if he wants to send someone from Syria to China so that a Chinese graduate might someday go to Syria, he could do that. That would be really neat. So thanks for making that possible. You, you enable us to live and be where we get to live and be, to see some of that and to have a small part in that. And we're very, very deeply, deeply grateful. Great. Final question. Mm. How can we pray for you? I know how we can pray for ELI. Yeah. But you're really good at sometimes telling us other things. How can we pray <laughs> for Andy? Uh, pray for me. The big thing is it's really similar to what Brooke said. I think just wisdom to know what do we do, what do we not do, um, what to say yes to. Probably the same things you guys wrestle with every day too. What, what should we do today? What's God's plan? What's our plan? I make a plan for the day. Half the time it never happens. It's usually because I had the wrong plan. It's his plan. That, the real life that comes to us every day, that's the, that's the, the life he has for us. But to know... Um, what to say yes to and what to say no to. That's really the big one. Great. Yeah, more ministry opportunities than time. Excellent. Amen Thanks. to that. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Give him a hand. For another hug. Another hug. You get two. Well, what we're going to do, uh, worship team, could I have you come back up? We're going to sing our closing song, and our benediction is going to be different today. Uh, under shepherds, both uh, current and retired. I'm going to ask you to come up and help us pray with the Chile family. We've also got some gifts for you that we want to send you out with. 
but then our benediction, we're going to stand together and I will remind you of the prayer requests they've given and we're going to pray over them at that time and that will be how uh, we close our service today. But let's rise together as we stand just the perfectly fitting song to close our morning and then the under shepherds will come up and we'll pray together.